Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is also provided by the PDX Executive Assembly, a membership of leaders from Portland companies, led by executives from the Trailblazers, Adidas, Yakima, and more, the Assembly's curated cohorts of executives serve to accelerate leadership development and build a meaningful network of peers, free from press and sales solicitation. Join now at pdxexecutiveassembly.com. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm really excited to have my next guest, who is a company in based in Albany, so down the road from us in Portland, if you're not familiar with the Oregon region, Dr. Jacques Zonnefeld and Dr. Smriti Zonnefeld, welcome. Thank you Thanks, so much man. for having us. You bet. So, you know, I read about that your company, Lazarus 3D, um, raised uh, seed funding of, I think, $6 million. So that's public. I can say that, right? Hopefully not uh, say anything out of school here. And, you know, honestly, it's, I wasn't aware of your company and it's a super exciting technology you're developing. So I would love just to start for each of you to kind of introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about your company. So uh, Smriti, if it's okay, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Dr. Smriti Zanabeld. I am the president and founder of Lazarus 3D. Um, and Lazarus 3D's mission is really to uh, improve the healthcare system overall by uh, specifically addressing a, uh, a void in surgery and surgical care today, which is that surgeons don't have a way to rehearse uh, their upcoming surgeries before they happen. And, you know, every case is unique. Every patient is unique. So we've created a technology that addresses that sort of missing piece of the puzzle, which is, but we've created this techno- technology called PreSure that allows surgeons to essentially do our surgical rehearsal on a replica of their patient's anatomy. So these models called PreSure allow for preoperative surgical rehearsals and they are on that personalized, individualized level. So this is something very uh, interesting uh, because it provides surgeons an opportunity like uh, none other. And so Jacques, when did you start the company? And this is one of these things I, I assume that, you know, you came up with the, the concept and I want to get into it, but it, it, there's, there's just seems tremendous opportunity in it, uh, you know, with it. So Jacques would love to learn about kind of the origin of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I was taking the shuttle back at Baylor College of Medicine to my condo and I started speaking with this medical resident and he was telling me how he was going to be doing his first solo surgery where he was really running the show the next day. And so I asked him about how he prepared. And he said, well, I've studied in books for so many years. I've observed other physicians do the surgery. Occasionally I've, you know, helped hold the suction device and this sort of thing. But when it comes to hands-on learning, 
I practiced yesterday on a green bell pepper using the laparoscopic instruments. And that seemed absolutely insane when you're talking about a surgery, right? Right. So the unfortunate truth is that until now, there hasn't been a good way for you to rehearse a surgery hands-on ahead of time, especially for something like cancer, which you may have a hard time finding in a cadaver. You may have a very hard time finding in an animal model. So basically you're learning on the job and looking at the data, it tells us, I mean, we all know we're facing a crisis in healthcare today with rising healthcare costs, with lower lifespans for Americans than people in other countries. And this is a problem we all need to tackle as a country. And looking into the data, we can see that adverse events in surgery cause massive long-term costs and massive harm to patients. So imagine a world where instead of practicing on a green bell pepper, you could reverse a brain surgery ahead of time on an exact physical replica of that patient's brain. So when we started, we pitched this idea to the head of endourology at Baylor College of Medicine, Dr. Richard Link and his team. And he said, you know what? If you kids can figure out a way to build it, <laughs> let's try it. So okay. Smriti and I went back to our kitchen. We, we did a little, you know, bit of uh, Thomas Edisoning, um, trying a million different things to see what would work. Um, our floors will never be the same again. <laughs> but eventually we figured out a way to 3D print in these soft materials that, that you can cut, that bleed, that really act like real tissue. And what that meant is that when we did our first clinical pilot together with Dr. Link um, and his team at Baylor College of Medicine, he was able for the first time ever to get a preview of that surgery. And so this was covered in ABC News, a few different places. And we said, you know what? This idea really makes sense and we've got to make it happen. So Smriti and I both accelerated our PhD programs at Baylor. We were both the first in our classes to graduate because we had this driving mission. We had to go run this company. So that was in 2016. Um, okay. As of 2021, we were FDA cleared. And as of February this year, we launched our pre-sure medical device. Well, thanks for that. And I know we skipped over about five years of grinding and, we're in, and you know, getting cleared. So we'll get into that. But what was your background in 3D or have you ever printed 3D, you know, using 3D printers before? Had you played with them with different things or was it just came up the idea and like, we got to figure this out? I'm curious. It was the second. And actually, there was a long process. Like you say, that five years of grind was in a large part because we were unfunded. We had no expertise, no knowledge in the area and nothing but a little bit of free time and our student stipends to try and launch this company. So I, I started, I built the first uh, 3D printer from parts um, in the kitchen. Uh, our first sales were at anime cons and science fiction cons, where we were selling little uh, tchotchkes to pay for the plastic that we were using. And we were able to use that to teach ourselves about 3D printing, learn how to build printers originally off of open source designs that were available to everybody. And from there, innovate our own medical technologies. Mm -hmm. And Smriti, ha have you, either of you started a company before or, because uh, I mean, you're in this PhD program, obviously you're very overwhelmed with, uh, you know, completing the program. So a layer on top of starting, starting a company, I'm, I'm just curious about that process. Yeah, I, I would say that this is our first venture. Um, so Lazarus 3D uh, was really, you know, uh, a fruit of, you know, the passion and, and the care that we have for this technology and 
and the problem that we were solving uh, in terms of experience uh, with, you know, leading projects or doing something innovative. We've all been doing that for a very long time. I yeah. think we've had both our families come from uh, entrepreneurial backgrounds. So uh, Jacques, uh, you know, parents have led and exited, successfully exited multiple companies. Uh, my family uh, also, we're, you know, family-owned business and they've had that. It's sort of a generational thing in my family. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with having that background and, you know, having so many insights into what branding is, what, what a brand means and what it means to be able to own what you've created. Right. And so this is a legacy. And I think that the, the ability to have this, I would say opportunity and, you know, the ability, the opportunity to make change that is not only going to impact me or my family, uh, but really it's going to potentially have a global impact. That is an incredible opportunity. And I think that the way we were raised, uh, you know, even from when I was a little kid, this is something that we embraced, uh, that I had embraced. And this was something that had always been encouraged. And, you know, I had so many uh, people, mentors, my dad, my uncles, my grandfather, my great grandfather to look up to. So yeah, and even during our PhDs, I think every thesis project, every side project is a mini startup because you yeah. don't know what is going to happen. It's uh, truly an idea. You start with this idea, it's a hypothesis. And there is a scientific basis for why this uh, you know, hypothesis was established or, or why it was, what was the foundation of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that in the startup world, it's similar. It all starts with an idea and it could begin uh, at uh, somebody sketches something or writes it on a little napkin. Right. In our case, it began uh, with tinkering in our kitchen. So it all starts somewhere. And I think if you have the passion and the drive, then you will make it happen. Yeah. And it sounds like in both of you, it was kind of that entrepreneur spirit's kind of in your DNA from your family a little bit too, right? So you know, tell me about, so the first four years, it sounds like you kind of bootstrapped the company. Did you try to get funding or you just kind of heads down, you know, uh, work? I'm kind of curious about that. And then, you know, you, uh, you got this, uh, seed funding, which I think a lot of founders are just people externally say, Oh, you know, they've been doing this not that long and they got this, you know, $6 million round, but I know there's a lot before that. So Smriti, I'd love for you to kind of give some context to that too. Yes, I think that uh, when we first started out, this was, you know, really an exciting uh, concept for us. Uh, we had already uh, pitched the idea to surgeons and some of our friends uh, in, in the Houston community, in the Texas Medical Center, which is the world's largest medical center. And even at that early concept phase, there was so much excitement that we decided to self-invest our savings from our students stipend into really funding the early developments. And then after that, we had support from friends and family that wanted to know and were really curious to know what we were working on and, and what was cooking in our kitchens, <laughs> quotes, but also literally. And so they supported us. And I think that being a woman in tech and being a, a woman-founded company and, uh, you know, having uh, a diverse team of not just founders, but even our teammates uh, that come from a, a, you know, very a diverse background. Uh, it was really 
a, a, a lot of excitement and a lot of support from within. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that when we did reach out to investors in Texas uh, and specifically, more specifically in Houston, um, they did not have an appetite for mm-hmm. um, high risk, high reward ventures. I think that their risk uh, profiles were restricted or limited to certain types of investments. And so uh, I, I don't think we saw that as a barrier for us. We just uh, kept going. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it may have even empowered us in some ways to prove them wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and to really bring this uh, through all of these monumental hurdles that we have had to go through with yeah. essentially no funding. Uh, and then it's a new technology. We're trying to disrupt healthcare, which is so it, it's so set in stone. And obviously there's always emerging technologies that are disruptive and improve uh, so many, you know, different aspects of healthcare. But this is something that it was something that had never been done, right? In in healthcare, the motto is E1, B1, P1. That's how surgeons have trained for generations through the power of observation uh, versus doing. So, and learning on the job. Yes. So anyway, I think that we didn't let that stop us. And when we did find support, um, it was through a really, really, uh, a great path. And so Ecliptic Capital that led our investment round, uh, and I want to give a big shout out to them, had served as a mentor and just a sounding board for us yeah. um, through the accelerator program that we went through with Mass Challenge. I think that a lot of uh, credibility goes to that trust that we built with them that did end up in the successful closing of the first uh, seed equity raise. And I want to push back on a couple things uh, that you said, actually, Dan, um, and, and, and support yeah. these points. First, our first significant funding round was after we were FDA cleared and had a medical device, device on the market. Right, that okay. is essentially unheard of. Your mm. typical medical device company will have spent over $30 million in investor funds to get to that point. We did it off of sales of a product that wasn't a medical device to bootstrap our own way. Hmm. And I would love for all of the founders out there who have a crazy idea and who do not have financial support to figure out a way to pay for it yourself. You would be amazed the ways that you can get people to fund your company through sales because you will do something that helps them rather than through an investment from the outside source. So I'm going to give you some examples. We needed to learn how to build 3D printed models. Let's build our own 3D printer and let's sell stuff at AnimateCons. Thing number one. Thing number two, we have to analyze MRI and CT scan data. Well, let's just go ahead and do that. Let's get lawyers to pay us to build models of people for personal injury and medical malpractice lawsuits so that they can better argue their case. Now we're getting paid to develop that technology we wanted to develop. Step number three, we need to build these realistic medical models, but we aren't FDA cleared. Tell you what, let's sell them as training, as customized training solutions for your medical device. Now, all of a sudden, Boston Scientific, I want to give a big shout out to as one of our uh, largest customers to date, is essentially funding our company. We're learning Mm. how to do what we need to do, and we're doing it providing valuable services to people. And that means we don't need investment. So when it comes to investment now, I look at that as actually what the investor gets. 
they get a piece of this rocket ship that they that we are building and we are going to make them a heck of a lot of money. What we want from the investors is their connections, their advice, their feedback, and to integrate into their networks so that we can expand our products throughout the medical system and do it right. Jacques, and I, I love, thanks for that context because I don't think it can be overstated. And if you can do it, you're in this industry, like you were saying, Smriti, it's the way it's been done forever. You're taking on kind of this behemoth of just that mindset and just ingrained in other, it's a bureaucracy, I guess, a little bit too. So I appreciate that. And I love that. I look up to that. So the question is, how did you make it to Oregon? <laughs> in Albany, right? You know, yeah. here we, I grew up in, not in Portland and as folks that are just maybe spent time in Portland, they don't know much about the other parts of the state, right? They don't know uh, Southern Oregon or, or where you're at by the Oregon State University. So I'd love to, you know, hear that story too. Yeah. So I'll just uh, start out by letting everyone know that Jacques is a duck. Um, so he Oh, go duck, Jacques. I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> So, so he is a Oregonian, uh, you know, uh, in his childhood, he spent, he grew up partially in Oregon and partially in uh, sort of traveling all over the world in the various islands in the South Pacific and everywhere, really. Um, so, so I think just hearing stories from him about how Oregon was so different from my own upbringing, which had been mostly in big cities, um, like I was born in Mumbai, a huge metropolitan world capital. And then I lived on the East Coast. So it was always, you know, New Jersey weekends in New York City. And that was my life. And then mm. Houston. So Houston is also uh, a huge melting pot and, you know, uh, so, so massive uh, and so densely populated. So I, I didn't have any problems, you know, really like uh, living in those places because that's what I had. That's that had been my life. But then when I was first exposed to Oregon and you know, this concept of uh, having life and having this ability to explore nature, I was really, I would say it was a culture shock almost, right? Mm -hmm. Like that this is something that people embrace and have the means to, uh, to make it a part of their existence. Like, this is not something that you do when you retire. This is like what he grew up with. This is what you may have grown up with if you're an Oregonian and grew up here, right? So, mm. so I thought that this was fascinating and I really wanted to see Lazarus 3D thrive and grow into, you know, a successful uh, company where we are inviting our team members for, to have those same opportunities um, to thrive both personally, mentally, and then also um, have this great career opportunity where we're building something of such great value that is beyond us. It is something universal, something global. And so empowering them both personally and to this opportunity was something really important to us. And so that's how we moved to Oregon. And actually it was in 2020 when the pandemic hit and we had a small pivot uh, for, uh, I think it was less than six months uh, where we ended up becoming the biggest the largest suppliers of PPE, uh, we ended up churning like 2 million units of PPE Wow! and supplying it to all the hospitals in the, in the, in the Houston, in the Texas Medical Center area, and then also nationwide. Uh, and wow. then also to, to uh, hospitals in Hawaii and other places. So, so that was like our little window uh, of time where we had this 
big decision to make. And it was like, well, are we going to move? And if we are going to move, then this is the time to make mm-hmm. it happen. And so mm-hmm. we chose Oregon because there was obviously that excitement uh, to to be able to explore nature. And then also Phil Knight had invested significantly in the in the Knight campus at UO. And uh, we had already connected with the innovation team, the entrepreneurship offices there and the biomedical engineering campus and their program officers there. And so that was really a, a big opportunity for us to have access to untapped young talent mm-hmm. uh, and then also access to uh, a lot of advisors in the community that have built very successful companies and are movers and shakers here that just make things happen. So yeah. I think that's been the, I, I would say that's been one of the biggest assets we've had uh, being here in Oregon for about two years. Every single person that knows us has connected us with at least one other person that has yeah. been of value to us and in our journey. And I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, lo- I want to add yeah. two ahead, things. Jack. Thing number one, last weekend, we had a recruitment and executive meeting with some people that were uh, bringing on to our, our team and with the founder and CEO of another company that we're recruiting to Oregon. Well, fishing clams up to our shoulders <laughs> in mud out of cool. the Aquina Bay. That's yeah. not something you get in a lot of places. Right. So that's one major benefit of being in Oregon, <laughs> right? Major benefit number two, the state and the community is incredibly supportive in a way that we did not see in Texas, mm. two small businesses in particular. So mm. my feeling of the environment in Texas is they want to do things to support companies that are already billion dollar companies and get right. them to move there. Right. I feel like the philosophy in Oregon is to foster innovation, to build the industries of tomorrow. And the state does it really well. The amount of support that we have gotten from institutions across the board, including from the Technology Association of Oregon, the mm. government, Oregon Bio, all of these organizations have been incredibly helpful in our growth. And we have seen exponential growth since we moved to this state. And I love how the story is, it's such a story of Oregon and uh, just our community of businesses here, specifically startups, because they go out of their way to introduce you to give you time, introduce you to somebody, right? And it's curious, I'm, it's good for me to hear like how that compares to Texas, where obviously there's a couple of notable examples of companies moving there, <coughs> Tesla, and that are already huge, right? So <laughs> I love that how it ties to uh, back to kind of who we are as a, a state a little bit. So thanks for that. So what's your, uh, what's, what's kind of next? What can you share? What's your plan? What are, how are you going to deploy the capital? And I assume grow your team and, and invest in, in more innovation. I'm curious what you can share. Yeah. So I want to share something uh, that happened just yesterday. So this is fresh off the press. It hasn't been in the press. Actually, we haven't reported it yet. But we won this award yesterday uh, from uh, through the Oregon Tech Awards uh, as the Emerging Company of the Year. And I think that describes us really well. Right. So we are emerging tech startup. And this like the last six years have been a lot of work and and, uh, you know, it has been an incredible mm. journey, but I think that it really starts now. It starts, it started this year uh, when we launched PreSure as a medical device. And also, you know, the fact that hospitals are onboarding with us, they are, you know, 
uh, adopting the, the technologies in their everyday practices, the fact that there is reimbursement codes for this technology that even patients can advocate for themselves and ask their doctors about whether the surgeon is going to do a surgical rehearsal with Preshore, whether the surgeon is going to use Preshore to communicate with them and explain to them what their condition is and why surgical intervention is recommended. Uh, you know, So like the ability for this technology to have that impact really started this year with the launch. And so our next step, our next steps are to uh, see this to fruition. Um, and so what that means for us is in the first year, we intend on having a pre-shared technology, you know, bringing it to the top hospitals and centers of excellence in the U.S. Uh, we're focusing on the U.S. market first because I think that's a, a good starting place. Uh, and then in the future, we're going to expand out to other markets in the UAE and the U.K., already engaged with uh, people there and there's also interest there. And so the also the first FDA clearance was for just all conditions tied to genitourinary. So what that means is if you're a patient with kidney cancer or prostate cancer or a, a child with uh, some sort of a, a congenital defect uh, associated with your genitals or with your bladder or your kidneys or anything in the genitourinary space, we're able to help uh, address that need uh, where the surgeon may choose, uh, depending on the complexity of the case, of course, but they may mm. choose to perform a surgical rehearsal in uh, facilitating their surgical plan and decision making. That is a, a big achievement for us, but I don't think that it ends there, right? So there are mm. conditions affecting people's brains and other organs in the in the human body that are very debilitating. They could be something so complex that even surgeons today may not have uh, developed the technology or the techniques to provide the best quality of care for those individuals. And so our next step is also to expand out of genitourinary to that very large space where we are able to provide models, replicas of patients' organs from everything head to toe. Wow. Absolutely. And to follow up with what Smriti says, I want to connect this back to what this means to us as a country. So right now, medical errors are the third leading cause of death in the United States. Mm. Um, added births, errors and defects in healthcare care uh, cost Medicare alone. So forget about private insurers. One point three trillion dollars per year. That's one third of all medical spending. These are things like avoidable complications, hospital-acquired conditions. So what happened in other industries when we enforced, when people started doing simulations and rehearsals? Well, back when air travel was, was new, it was actually really dangerous. And then the government mm -hmm. passed a law requiring pilots to perform some number of simulation hours. And we saw the frequency of errors drop by 90%. The frequency of fatal crashes dropped by 90% within a decade. So what could adoption of this technology mean? It could mean that medical errors go from the third leading cause of death to very rare. It could mean that we go from wasting $1.3 trillion per year on healthcare, forget about the liability that comes along with that, which is another massive cost, yeah. and we could theoretically get rid of 90% of that. That is our goal as a company to make surgery as safe and predictable 
as airline travel is today. And now we have uniquely the first technology that's going to enable surgeons to do that, to really have foresight about what could happen in an upcoming complex surgery. Yeah, thanks for that. And, you know, as someone I have nothing to do with your company, but I'm, I'm excited and just proud that you're here in Oregon. And it's um, great to see you win the award. So congratulations to, uh, to you to that, too. And just one final thing I want to ask about your team and hiring. How has been getting talent and are you looking to bring on now new talent? And where can folks go to kind of learn more about that in your company? Absolutely. So we are uh, hiring for many different positions. So if you go to www.laz3d.com and click on our careers at the bottom of the page, you'll see the open positions. Right now, I believe we have 11 open positions. Oh, great. Um, we're planning on doubling to tripling our full-time employee count uh, by the end of the year. We wow. know that there are fantastic innovators, um, uh, dedicated engineers, um, ad administrators, people with incredible talents across the state. So we want you to come join us in our mission to enable surgical perfection and create such an important impact um, on the country through your hard work and dedication. I want to add that this is a technology that people can really resonate with uh, on a personal level. So for example, I have certainly had my fair share of, you know, losses in, in my family where procedure was done to manage a condition and then led to a complication resulting in something unrelated. And then that led to the passing of that family member. And so uh, this is not uncommon. I think everyone sort of chalks it to, they, they call it a unavoidable, you know, outcome. And I don't think that those outcomes were unavoidable. So for the majority of the team here at Lazarus, we, everyone has gone through that. And like I said, it's not uncommon. So this is their chance to, you know, have a voice in, in making a difference. And those are the people that we are seeking the people that share the passion and excitement uh, to bring this technology to the masses and, uh, and having that pride and that sense of ownership really in uh, their ability to be a piece of this solution, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is a specific kind of personality. There are people that do the nine, nine to five and go home and they're like, all right, turn off switch. Um, and then there are the people that really are, you know, in it for the long run and they want to make sure that they're in it with you and you're all in it together to make it successful. And I think how they define success, how I define success for Lazarus is, you know, I want to see this technology, uh, really affect millions of lives for them. They must have their own reasons, but whatever their reasons are, I think, uh, really are aligned with the company's mission. So, yeah. yeah. Well, th thanks so much for, for joining. And I'm looking forward to following along and just seeing your rocket ship take off. So uh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.